proclaiming truth to restore life and liberty. This is The Future of America with your host, Nena Arias. She has proclaimed truth for over 40 years in many nations of the world and now endeavors to restore the values of the biblical worldview that made the United States of America the most powerful nation in the world. Ideas have consequences. They're passed on from generation to generation, forming the culture of a society. To eradicate error, the moral and ethical principles of the Bible must be firmly established in the heart and mind of each individual. Discover how to apply biblical principles to transform your world. And now, your host, Nena Arias. Welcome, dear friends. It is for us a tremendous honor to have you with us in this broadcast where we have been looking at this topic that is so vital for all of us. At some point in our lives, we are all accosted by or threatened by fear. And we have been looking at the root of fear, how it presents itself, what a person can experience with God and without God, what the Word of God says is the origin of fear, and today we're going to touch on how to overcome fear or any attack that may be coming against you. This is the fourth and final part in this topic, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. But of course, there's always more to explore, so we hope that in this series, we have piqued your interest to do some more research, especially if you are going through something specific that you would search the scriptures and learn how to overcome and jump that hurdle that has been holding you back or threatening you in some way. In the first part of this topic, we established that fear is not from God. You must know that from the get-go. Whenever you are experiencing fear of whatever thing may be threatening you, that fear does not come from God. And we are told this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. End of quote. God has not given us the spirit of fear. He will never bring it upon us. That is not his tactic. That is the tactic of the enemy, his preferred weapon. God works with love. He works with his power. And he works with our sound mind. By that, we mean that we're thinking straight. By that, we mean that our thoughts are based on God's thoughts. And that keeps our mind stable. So if you are experiencing nagging fear that keeps coming back time and time again, that does not come from God. If it's crippling you in any way, that certainly is not of God. And least of all, if it is paralyzing you, paralyzing fear is not from God but from the enemy of God and your enemy and my enemy. And that comes from the realm of darkness. 
Learn to identify it. Don't think that it comes from any other source than Satan's domain. That is his domain. And learn to discern it, learn to identify it, and learn how to fight against it. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, we saw and read the following. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. End of quote. This was one of the key verses that we have been looking at because it instructs us that we need to face every day, and especially the end of our days, with confidence. Now, we know we're all going to have to face judgment at some point or another before God. So when we are not understanding the perfect love of God, when we're not understanding the full work that Jesus Christ did in love for us, and that it was complete, and all we have to do is accept it and live by it, then we do not have to fear that judgment day when we go before the Father, because it says here on earth we experience that. It says, because as he is, so also are we in this world. That's not just when we are transferred into eternity. That starts right here, right now. The moment you understand the fullness of the work of Christ in you, you have absolutely nothing to fear. Because it says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. There is no more perfect love than God's love. So when that love permeates and enters your heart and your life, fear has to dissipate. If it lingers, if it is still there, that means you're not understanding the fullness of what God has done for you and the enemy could be lying to you, telling you that you're not good enough. Well, of course we're not good enough. That's why Christ had to come. So agree with your adversary. Yeah, you're right. I'm not good. I'm not good enough. But Christ in me is good enough. And that's all I need to know. And that is the way we battle Satan's lies with God's truth. And he has to flee. Because it says that fear has to do with punishment. Now, if God has forgiven us, we have been justified through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We are in commitment with the life that God has offered, and we are endeavoring every single day to honor our Lord. We do not have to fear this punishment, and therefore we are transferred into the realm of God's perfect love. When God's perfect love abides in you, you have confidence. The condemnation that the enemy wants to bring against you has to dissipate, and we do not have to fear that judgment day. That's very important. The enemy works with fear, and he works with guilt. Even though he knows that we have been forgiven, he still has the power of suggestion, and he will bring to our minds his lies so we can fall for them. 
In part one, we also mentioned the three levels of love there is, and we defined those levels of love that we experience. And this is very important that we understand the definitions and the levels that love presents itself. First, we saw the erotic love, which is a sensual and sexual love in nature, which is what is expressed in the marriage relationship that is also sexual. A lot of people commonly confuse sex with love, but sex alone is not love. And so people look for love in the wrong places. People who want to be loved, which is everyone, when they don't understand that sexual love in itself is not true love, they come up empty every single time they give themselves over to a sexual relationship without the deep-rooted commitment of a marriage. So erotic love by itself comes up wanting, and especially in the wrong types of relationships. The other level of love is the filial love, which is befitting a family member, like a parent, a parent to a son or a daughter. The type of love we feel for family members, those close to us, that's the filial love. It is not to be confused with the erotic love in any way, shape, or form. That is out of that picture of filial love. And then there is the third and deeper level of love, which is the agape love. The agape love is God's pure love. And it is also the Christian love, the love Christians must feel and experience with one another. It is a pure love, a clean love. And those are the three levels of expressions of love that we experience. In part number two of this topic, we establish that God's word says that God is love. So God is the source of love. We read that in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, that says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not Love does not know God because God is love. End of quote. Again, a lot of Christians get confused with this because they feel, or they think rather, that if they do not feel these overwhelming, gushy feelings inside toward their fellow believers, that that means that they don't love them. But let me ask you this. If one of them was in need, would you help them? Most of us would. If a fellow believer is sick, would you visit them? Would you go pray with them? If the opportunity presents itself, we would like to think that we would. Would you deliberately go up to a fellow believer and insult them and fight with them? Pick a fight out of nowhere? Disrespect them? No, you would not. You would give them the dignity that they deserve, that every person deserves. So when we are willing to serve others... That is loving them. When we are willing to respect others, that is loving them. When we are willing to pray for others, that is loving them. And they may not interact in your social circles at all. 
but you are loving believers through these actions that you freely give to them. Because if we do not do these things, then we do not know God because God is love. That's what we just read. Anyone who does not love does not know God. If you would deny yourself in service to others in some of the things that we just mentioned and even more, then you don't know God because God is love. And those of us who say that we know God, we must love others. Love is a fundamental characteristic of who God is. Everything God does is motivated and influenced by his love. And we mentioned that even his judgments are motivated by his love of justice. God loves justice. And when justice is being violated or or contaminated, God steps in to defend it because it is his job to keep justice clean, pure, in all our dealings. And of course, he gives plenty of warning and is patient to give people time in their lives to turn them around. But if they don't, then his love of justice and for the rest of the human race, he cannot allow these violations to go on and ruin it for everybody else. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, I encourage you to read it. But there he tells us, I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. End of quote. He delights in steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. So whenever he has to correct people that are violating these attributes or these aspects, and impacting other lives unfairly, God will step in. So his justice is motivated by love. And it is important to note that true love is not an emotion. True love is not an emotion. God's love for us is not based on emotion. And neither should our love be based on mere emotion for God or others which is why we can love others, even if we don't feel these gushy emotions coming from within. We love each other because we are committed to serve one another. In part number three, we saw how God's word imparts knowledge to teach us how not to come under bondage of fear and destruction. And it boils down to how much do we know about God? How much do we know about what his word teaches us about the realm of darkness and the realm of light and how we are to use the weapons of our warfare to battle against the enemy. So we suffer because we lack knowledge. And Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 tells us, my people perish for lack of knowledge. End of quote. Because you see, Satan has to honor knowledge that comes from God. He knows it is God's word and he must adhere to it. He must honor it. He cannot find a way around it. Satan can be very convincing with his lies though. But the word of God will always unmask him before our eyes. And it'll teach us how to use the right weapons 
of our warfare against him. Otherwise, we give him the upper hand in the fight. If he can intimidate us, cower us into a corner, then he has us. But if we unmask his lies through the word of God and bring out the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, we can defeat him and he knows it. But he's also stubborn. He does not back off so easily. He wants to see how persistent we are going to be. He wants to know if he can make us buckle with pressure. And while you may fight Satan by reading faith scriptures, sometimes it may not be enough. He wants to see how committed you are to it, and so does God. There is a critical component of spiritual warfare that we must use against him. We must take authority over Satan and the spirits that are manifesting and bind them in the name of Jesus, so they won't have the liberty to taunt us. We declare them powerless against us when we take the authority that Christ has given us. If we don't, he'll just take advantage. The struggle will drag out and escalate, and fear can become paralyzing. It takes a lot of renewing of the mind and active spiritual warfare by taking the authority over the enemy to defeat him. And it may require prayer, but also fasting to finally gain the victory. It's hard for us to understand with our natural reasoning why fasting would make a difference, but it does. And we saw it in the incident that we made reference to when the disciples could not deliver a demon-possessed boy, and Jesus had to intervene, and Jesus delivered him. And then he instructed his disciples on this point in Matthew seventeen twenty one. He said, This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting, end of quote. What does that mean? That means that there are different ranks of demons, and some are more powerful and more stubborn than others. And we have to double up on our spiritual battle with our spiritual weapons and include fasting so that God can increase in us and we can overcome the enemy. So prayer and fasting go hand in hand when we are fighting against the enemy and against satanic forces that we need to use God's authority against. God's word is our instruction manual for all things. And it shows us how we can go from paralyzing fear to powerhouse faith when we apply the word of God to our lives. We can go from one extreme to the other when God's word is applied. And we have seen many examples in the Bible of when people were called into God's service, their first response was one of resistance. And they would proceed to present the excuses of why they could not serve. Remember Moses? When Moses was called by something very extraordinary, like that burning bush that would not consume itself, then when he realized God was calling him and what he wanted him to do, Moses said, God, I can't even talk. There's no way I can speak for you. But as God revealed more 
of his plan for him and how God's words explained to him more clearly and that he would be with him, then Moses was able to say, okay, okay, we can do this. And we saw what bold leadership he presented after that to accomplish this tremendous task of bringing out the Hebrew nation from among the Egyptians and march them across the wilderness to possess the promised land and establish the nation that God wanted to form to continue his very specific plan and to fulfill the promises that he had given the patriarchs, and God's word made all the difference. So in the final part of this topic, it is very important and fitting to review and get down packed how we can deliver ourselves from the spirit of fear. And it comes through the renewing of our mind and active spiritual warfare. So first, let's define what these two terms mean. Renewing of the mind and active spiritual warfare. Renewing the mind is when you learn what God says about you or a certain situation by studying the Bible. You find the most accurate biblical verses that apply to your situation and provide understanding about God's truth for you, of what he has provided to help you overcome and also teaches you who you are in him. When we know who we are in him, and when we know what God's word offers and provides, there's nothing that can stop us. You must memorize these scriptures. Think about them constantly, especially when the enemy attacks. You have to counterattack with these verses because that's God's word. And you may even have to say them out loud, declare them out loud. When the enemy came against Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus counterattacked his temptations with the word of God. And that's what we have to do too. Remember, faith grows when we nourish it with God's word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This doesn't happen just with a mere one-time reading or vaguely remembering a portion of scripture. We must saturate our mind with it. Say it over and over and over again until we truly understand it and believe it in our heart of hearts. There is a difference of just knowing something mentally, of knowing something just because you've memorized it and it's there in the archives of your mind, but it is quite another thing when it passes down to the heart, the understanding of the heart. These thoughts must become your first nature, not your second nature. Fear must not be your first response. Faith must be your first response in the face of any adversary. So that is renewing of the mind. Saturate your mind with the word of God. Memorize it, archive it, and have it at your fingertips so you can remember it and bring it to mind immediately. What does active spiritual warfare mean? Active spiritual warfare is when you do what the Bible says to do when Satan is causing problems in your life. You take authority over him. In Luke chapter 10, verse 19, 
we are told, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. End of quote. We already have been given the authority to do this spiritual warfare. Another way that we do this warfare is to resist him. We don't give in to him. And when we resist him, he will flee. We are told this in James chapter 4, verse 7. that says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. End of quote. So we do not give in to his enticements. We do not give in to his lies. We resist him, resist him, resist him through our will and declaring God's word. So how do we engage in renewing the mind and active spiritual warfare? Well, the next time you experience the slightest degree of fear or worry, it could be just a little thought of concern that crosses your mind, but don't let it settle. Don't develop it. Get rid of it. Say no in the name of Jesus. Spirit of fear, I bind you in the name of Jesus and reject it, reject it, reject it. Say, I will not open the door. You cannot come into my mind. And the word of God says that God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So get thee behind me, Satan. And therefore I reject you right now in Jesus's name and cast you out. Satan, you must obey. I'm resisting you and you must flee. You take authority over him. Do this as often as you have to. And in the beginning, until he gets it, it may be very often, because remember, he's stubborn. But don't give up and don't doubt its power. Keep saying and believing this until you are free. Believe me, you will know when you are free. Then you refuse to think about or entertain any thought related to fear, anxiety, worry, or concern. And when those thoughts come up, force them out of your head by focusing on Scripture that come against it. And I'll give you a few scriptures that you can jot down and then look them up later. Psalms 91, verse 1 through 16. Isaiah 41, verse 8 through 10. Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. And Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Look them up. Bookmark them in your Bible and refer to them anytime you're entering active spiritual warfare against Satan. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, we read, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. End of quote. These are the things that you're going to feed to your mind. And remember, when it comes to prayer, you can come into agreement with another believer for freedom and peace and come against the spirit of fear, like Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 says. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. End of quote. If you are a married person, you can do this with your spouse or a family member. There is power in agreeing with another believer. 
You can do this about any spirit that creates problems in your life. Pride, religiosity, deception, control, manipulation, you name it, anything you can come against and it works. The power of God works to free you from the bondage of all these attacks and be made free through God's perfect love. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast. May these truths challenge and change your heart. We hope today's topic has truly enriched your life so we can make America strong again. This program is made possible by the generous financial support of our listeners. All donations are tax deductible. We would love to hear your questions or comments. Please visit our website at www.culturallegacy.org. You may email us at cl.culturallegacy.org or write to The Future of America, P.O. Box 38456, Greensboro, North Carolina, 27438. Call us at 877-732-2887. That's 877-732-2887. Remember, you are a person of positive or negative influence. What you do today will impact the future.